All right, here we go. Episode seven already. How about that? I uh, got to apologize for episode six. That sounded like shit. I'm sorry. Sounded like I was inside a bathroom stall at the airport. Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Josh Rosenberg. Awful. Awful, awful. All I had to do was read the instruction booklet, and boom, I would clearly see to speak into the front side of the microphone. It's pretty simple. So I spoke into the back side of the microphone for about a half hour, thinking I was creating magic, but to me it was unlistenable. So if you made it through episode six, where I thought the content was going to be so good, it's tough to listen to. But I'm hoping this sounds a little better, because I'm a little more awake. I read the instructions. I now kind of understand how this works. I'm only seven into it, folks. Give me some time. But sleep deprivation is a motherfucker. It'll make you do some crazy shit. Sleep deprivation kind of creeps up on you. You like you might feel awake. You know you're disoriented, kind of in a fog, but still making it through your day. And then you just do something weird like put the milk in the cupboard or put your keys in the garbage disposal or accidentally put salsa in your smoothie. I don't know, but we've all been there. And I think any parents out there understand that sleep deprivation is just the new normal. It's not even something to complain about. I don't even want to bring it up, but I was hard on myself. It consumed me that my last podcast sounded so shitty. So here we go. Let's try it again. Mic issues, I'm guessing, are resolved for now. All right. A part of me thought this podcast would be reviewing some of the great shows and movies that I've seen, but I've barely seen anything lately. So it's more of a minimal review of what I've seen. I did catch the Oscars, and the only way to watch the Oscars is to record it and fast forward through the commercials and all the categories that you don't care about, which for me was about 80% of them. And I was asking myself the question, is this even a watchable show if you've seen none of the movies? Actually, I saw Get Out. Love Jordan Peele, love Key and Peele. Uh, did not expect Jordan Peele's movie to receive these kind of accolades. Did anybody? I mean, the first time you saw Get Out, it was good. It was like really good. But did you leave the theater thinking, oh, yes, Oscar worthy? Of course, Jordan is going to be at the Academy Awards in a white tuxedo receiving the Oscar. He wasn't just nominated. He won for his screenplay. And it was an important movie. I mean, there was some depth. But really, when Jordan Peele directs a movie, I don't think anybody's thinking Oscar buzz. But it was really good. So outside of that, haven't seen any of them, which means I have a lot of homework. Because I want to see them all. They all look good. The Churchill movie, The Darkest Hour, looks good. The Shape of Water, the one that actually took home Best Picture, looks really weird, and I can do weird. I can do weird. I can get down with weird. Lady Bird, everybody says, is amazing. I want to see that. Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne. How weird. There were actual commercials for Roseanne back on ABC. We have completely run out of ideas. But Laurie Metcalf, who was originally... Great on Roseanne back in the day. Tuesday nights, by the way, I remember that. The Connor family. The James Franco movie, The Disaster Artist, that looks good. The Florida Project, they all look good. It's kind of a weird experience. It's just one big spoiler alert, and you listen to their acceptance speeches. I, Tanya with Alice and Jenny, that looks good. And then you start to write a list of gotta see that, gotta see that, gotta see that. But I did think it was interesting that Jimmy Kimmel not only hosted, he's a great host. I mean, the guy's awesome, very funny. Very polished, very talented, but he has to do this whole compassionate tone to the Time's Up, Me Too movement. And really, this is the same guy from The Man Show. Are we forgetting that? Just girls jumping on trampolines, you know, drinking beer and talking about women and having women in panties and bras and bikinis on trampolines. And then fast forward and now he's so sincere 
you know, taking up the woman's plight in Hollywood. Little disingenuous, yeah? I mean, I know you can evolve. I understand you don't need to be pigeonholed if you're in Hollywood, but Jimmy Kimmel acting like he cared just so deeply about the women's movement in Hollywood, about their rights. It almost seems like he's playing the Hollywood game himself. Like, this is what the cue card says. This is what I will read, and I will empower all women with this incredible monologue. But his partner on The Man Show back in the day, of course, Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla is kind of still Adam Carolla. If you listen to his podcast, and there's nothing more liberating than a podcast that is uncensored, he still sounds like the Corolla from The Man Show. So at least give him some credit that he stayed true to his guns. Not to say he's a sexist or trying to keep women down, quite the contrary. But he didn't evolve into this polished Hollywood type that Jimmy has. And it sounds like I'm ripping him, but Jimmy's good. Yeah, I like the show. I even went to see it live. Jimmy Kimmel Live, I think in the first year during the October fires down in San Diego. My roommate, my buddy Rick and I, we got in the car and said, all right, school's shut down. All the stores are shut down. Let's go to L.A. It's free, by the way. If you ever want to be a studio audience member at a TV show, most of them are free. So we just stood in line for about 20 minutes, sat third row for the Jimmy Kimmel show. And this was the week after they stopped serving the crowd alcohol because I think somebody barfed. And I think his guests were getting too drunk as well. Does anybody remember when Jimmy Kimmel Live first hit the air? It was like too much of a party. Snoop Dogg blacked out and just fell asleep when he was co-hosting. But it was good. The night we went, it was uh, Wanda Sykes, I believe, and musical guest Ludacris, which they bring the entire studio audience outside, and they got the stage, they got the whole production, and then he sings two songs, or he raps two songs, and they say, all right, everybody, get out of here. Such a big production. I'm like, come on, we're all assembled here. How about a full concert? But you get what you pay for. Okay, so there is a point to me bringing up movies out of the gates. And this is a heartwarming tale from Marin County, California. But growing up, my best friend, one of my close friends, Peter Lavolsi, moved when he was 10. So that's about 1991, we're in fifth grade, and his family moves. And back then, you know, I'm not trying to sound like this is medieval times, but when your best friend moves and you're 10 years old, that's it. Social media will not connect you in 1991. And what kind of 10-year-old boys become pen pals and talk on the phone? I think we talked once, but your friendship kind of fades away. And then, how do you rediscover people as adults? Social media. Found him on Facebook back in the day. And this is probably 2005 when I reconnected it with him, but I noticed Peter Lavolsi, his family moved to Winnecta, Illinois. I remember the name of the town, Winnecta, Illinois. And I saw his Facebook profile. It said he was an AFI student in L.A., he was making little movies and I was living in San Diego. So I got in touch with him and rekindled that friendship. I think I saw him once in LA, but really it faded away once again, but a text here and a text there. And so to fast forward a little bit, I wrote a book that was published. I honestly forget it, maybe 2012. So I got a hold of Peter and I said, Peter, I've got an idea. You're an aspiring director in Hollywood. I'm an aspiring writer. What do you say we turn this bad boy into a screenplay? What do you say we adapt my novel? Like, it's that easy. Let's just go shopping for our Oscars tuxedos already. And he said, I like the idea. It was kind of bullshit conversation, tongue in cheek. But yeah, sure. Let's get ready for the Oscars. Turn my book into a screenplay. At least it got us back in touch. And he actually said, but right now I am already doing that. I'm already adapting a book into a screenplay called The House of Tomorrow. So I said, okay, House of Tomorrow. I'll keep an eye out for that. Years go by, years go by, years go by. And then I saw through the world of social media that he put up 
the funding has been granted for my film and the cast was revealed. You know, here's a friend of mine trying to make it in Hollywood, just like a million other people. But when he revealed the cast and the funding and that he was shopping his movie all over the film festivals, it was Nick Offerman, who's Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. People know Nick Offerman. He was also in The Founder, played one of the original McDonald's brothers. Maude Apatow, Judd Apatow's daughter. Ellen Burstyn is the star of this movie. So he got some big-time actors. Asa Butterfield, who was in The Boy with the Striped Pajamas. He was the little boy. Unbelievable actor. And I feel like I'm forgetting a few other noteworthy actors. But he got a great cast, put together a fantastic script, got it filmed in Minnesota, and as he was bringing this film to the San Francisco Film Festival down at the MoMA, I said, Peter, I'm coming Tuesday night to the screening. And I had never been to a film festival. It was spectacular. Not just the movie, but the festival. It was just really cool to see the director introduce his movie, and then afterwards he does a Q&A with the audience. Uh, but that two hours in between the introduction and the Q&A, let me get to the actual movie called The House of Tomorrow, it was really good. It was creative. It was funny. It had heart. Couldn't have been more impressed. And after the movie, I see him in the hallway on the side of the auditorium, gave him a big hug. It felt like I've only seen him once since 1991, if that. And it's weird how behavioral patterns just come back. Like Even though we're both 36 now, married with children, it was just like talking to fifth grade Peter. And the first thing he said before we even discussed his movie was, do you remember ditching Hebrew school? And it jogged my memory to a wonderful place. Maybe a painful place, but the nostalgia was thick. He said, I wanted to write a script about it. Here's a guy that's making a movie that's being shopped around the film festivals. And this has a very happy ending, this story. Or a beginning, how should I put it? But he said, do you remember when we used to ditch Hebrew school? And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. These memories, now they're funny. But at the time, our parents would drop us off at the bottom of this giant staircase at the JCC. And we would look up at the staircase and say, all right, where is the escape route? I forget if we would ditch immediately. Or if we would first go to Hebrew school, pretend to learn Hebrew with a bunch of people that we didn't want to be with on a weeknight when you'd prefer to be playing mud football or Nintendo and be forced into this room to sit on a carpet and listen to Aleph, Bet, Vet, Gimel, Dalad. It's my classic snoring sound effect. That's innovative. But I think we would go and then say, can I use the bathroom? We were 10 years old and never come back. Actually, maybe we would use the bathroom and then try to find like a vent to climb through. Pretty sure I'm not remembering this correctly. And we would climb through the building, through the vent, to the roof. Sounds like a prison escape, but in a weird way it was. And then we'd either go to 7-Eleven, get a soda and a bag of chips, or I remember there was a pool table. You know, these, it sounds like two grizzled old fellas. Yeah, we'd play pool, we'd have a drink, we'd rehearse our Hebrew or not. And our parents would pick us up. How was it? Hey, shalom. It was great. Toda, toda. It was awful. But what a great memory that he brought that up. And then we talked about his movie, how much I liked it. And then just yesterday, this is why I'm bringing it all up right now. Just yesterday, I see Entertainment Weekly puts out House of Tomorrow in theaters April 27th. I knew nothing about how movies get produced. I still know nothing about how movies get produced. But it was filmed like three years ago. And he goes to all the film festivals, city to city, shopping this movie, looking for big production companies, and it's getting into theaters. This is amazing. It's blowing my mind. 
that this is one of my close buddies from childhood, now living it up Hollywood style, but I now have to promote this. I'm going to use this podcast platform. All 12 of you listeners, please remember to go see The House of Tomorrow, directed by the one and only Peter Lavolsi, who I remember was a pretty good handball player, loved Will Clark on the Giants, allergic to milk, had a Washington Redskins hat, really liked Saturday Night Live, staying up late, back when you actually had to stay up late to watch Saturday Night Live. Now everybody, I think, watches it on Sunday on the old DVR. But I'm hoping his next movie is Escape from Hebrew School, starring Fred Savage and Jonah Hill. Why not? All right, like I said, I'm watching virtually no TV, not by choice. I wish I was watching more shows, but I'm going to sleep at about 8, 8.30. When the baby crashes, we crash, but the one show I am watching is Crashing. I didn't even script that. Isn't that beautiful? Is that a good intro or what? Crashing with Pete Holmes, which I watch because it's about stand-up comedy, but by no means is this a good show. Every episode seems like it'll be good because the cameos. He's had Bill Burr on, Artie Lang is on a bunch of episodes, Jeff Ross. Sarah Silverman had a great cameo. But most of the episodes are kind of empty, and Pete's kind of annoying. He's kind of awkward. But of course, this is a show that I'm going to be watching continually, just because. It's stand-up comedy, but the bigger reason why I'm going to keep watching it is because it's yet another Judd Apatow production. And just today, I looked up Judd Apatow on IMDb. It took me about a half hour. You almost forget how dominant this guy is. And I'm going to go way back for a moment. But Judd Apatow, whose daughter is in the House of Tomorrow, it all connects, people. It all connects. Apatow probably first busts on the scene as a writer for the... Larry Sanders show, Gary Shandling's old show, and now he's making a Gary Shandling documentary. But soon after that, late 90s, he does the show Freaks and Geeks, which I never watched back then, but now I've seen them all and they're great. I think it was the first time anybody saw James Franco, Seth Rogen, Linda Cardellini. It's a good show. It only lasted maybe seven episodes, but that got canceled. And then Judd just decided, maybe take a few years off and then, oh yeah, dominate Hollywood comedy. And I want to make the point that maybe dominate it more than anybody else has. You could probably say Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, Keenan Ivory Wayans, Sid Caesar. This is a weird list. But Judd Apatow has pretty much cornered the market on things I like. And I know why. I think I know the recipe. He makes things look real. If you think about, you know, mid-90s comedies... Jim Carrey is a big deal. It's all, you know, shtick, slapstick, very scripted. You watch a Judd Apatow comedy, the conversations get awkward. It almost feels real. The comedy seems natural. And he's perfected this. Not to mention, he did a stand-up comedy special on Netflix. And I think I'm too jealous of this guy. Because I was like, no way. No way is he going to be great. He's not a stand-up comic. He used to be. But there's no way his stand-up return is going to be good. It was an A+. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. Maybe I am. I don't know. But check it out for yourself. Judd Apatow's stand-up comedy returned to the stage. It was laugh out loud. I try not to throw around the word genius, but he's a genius. So I'm just going to read through some of his movies just to remind you how he has dominated this field. Think about anybody who's dominating anything or any company that's dominating anything today, like Amazon dominating online sales. Okay, that's the only example I have right now. I was trying to rack my brain, but you know what I mean. So who's dominating comedy in Hollywood? You take a look at this. Go way back. Go on back. The Cable Guy, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, 
Think about the first time you saw the 40-year-old virgin. How funny was that? Uh, Talladega Nights, Walk Hard, Dewey Cox movie. Super Bad, which is officially a classic. It's the type of movie where you don't change the channel if it's on. Knocked Up, classic. Pineapple Express, one of the better stoner movies in the last 20 years. Danny McBride in it, just getting injured in every scene. Step Brothers, which I almost walked out of the first time I saw it, but now classic. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, classic. Funny People. Funny People probably has more stars in it than any movie I've ever seen. Ever. Really good. Even people that probably can't stand Adam Sandler enjoy Funny People. Get Him to the Greek, Russell Brand. Really funny. Bridesmaids. Anchorman 1, Anchorman 2, Amy Schumer in Trainwreck, The Big Sick, Kumail Nanjiani's most recent movie that he wrote. These are all Judd Apatow productions. HBO, the show Girls, which I shouldn't watch. It's too addicting. I don't even know why I like it, but I love it. Judd Apatow creation. The show Love. Judd Apatow creation. What he touches turns to gold. The best in the biz. Living a charmed life. But he earned it, earned every penny. He's a comedy addict, too. If you listen to his story, I think his mom was a waitress in Long Island, single mom when he was growing up, and she purposely got a job at a comedy club as a cocktail waitress because she knew her son, Little Judd, loved the comedians. And he was in quick. He was recording these long-form interviews when he was a teenager with people like Jerry Seinfeld, Gary Shandling, Carl Reiner. So it's just in his blood. I love his story. It's incredible. Beautiful wife. Two beautiful daughters, and that is as good of a life as anybody on planet Earth right now. So yeah, check out his stand-up special on Netflix. Also on Netflix, okay, I'm acting like I watch nothing. I did watch a Netflix original movie called A Futile and Stupid Gesture. It's the story of Doug Kenny. Of course you don't know who Doug Kenny is. If you do, that means you're an old-school fan of National Lampoon. He's one of the co-creators from Harvard. He turns the satirical magazine harvard lampoon into the national lampoon which we all know from many many movies many laughs but this is a morbid comedy will forte plays him seems like i talk about will forte too much on this podcast but he plays doug kenny one of the co-creators of national lampoon most people know national lampoon from animal house caddyshack well that's it those are the two movies that he wrote and produced before he killed himself walked right off a cliff in hawaii at least that's how the movie ends. They don't officially say this was a suicide, but all signs point to it being a suicide. Like There were some people that said maybe he just fell off the cliff. Very eerie. It was one of those biopics where you're Googling throughout to see, wait, what if this is true and what is just totally made up? And a lot of it is true. This is the guy who wrote Animal House, classic, Belushi, and Caddyshack. And then fell into a world of substance abuse and drug addiction. But as he wrote Caddyshack, he was at odds with some of the producers, getting in fights, drinking too much, hated the movie the way it turned out. And the critics hated it too. He never lived to see the success that Caddyshack had. It's a weird thing about comedy. Sometimes they get panned in the theater and critics. Critics aren't supposed to like comedies. Usually comedies get panned by the critics. But he took it hard. Went into a world of cocaine addiction with Chevy Chase. This sounds like I'm just making it up. But a futile and stupid gesture, if you get a chance to see that on Netflix, it's watchable. I mean, the story's captivating. I'm not acting like the uh, performances are Oscar-worthy. 
It's no get out. And I think I'm still on the fence with Will Forte. He's getting a lot of work for a guy who just plays Will Forte and everything. But that works for some people. Some people don't have to be versatile. Some people are just themselves in every movie and it's good enough. Yeah, if you're likable, like Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen is Seth Rogen in every movie. And then you have the Daniel Day-Lewis's, the Johnny Depp's, the DiCaprio's, you know, the real actors. There's only a few real actors and then a lot of people who are just themselves in every movie reciting the lines of a script. There's my deep thought. We almost went a full podcast without my deep thought. Oh boy, that wasn't even too deep. If I was listening, I'd be like, yeah, you know something? That didn't do it for me. But I'm not listening. I'm doing the speaking. And would like to reveal that this podcast is brought to you by nobody yet. No sponsors. But if I did have sponsors, because I'm getting hungry right now, I'm thinking I'll just go on a food tour of my local area. So this one's for the locals. This podcast was brought to you by Jimbo's Hot Dogs on the side of Redwood Highway, cash only. And I forgot that once. I didn't have any cash. He still let me have the hot dog with the grilled onions, the Dijon mustard. If anybody listening knows Jimbo's Hot Dogs, yes, that place is still in business. This podcast also brought to you by Scotty's Deli Sandwiches. No better sandwich around. And in the same strip mall, Lococo's Pizza. This podcast is not brought to you by Lococo's. I still can't understand if it's my bias my strong childhood connection to Lococo's, or if it truly is the best pizza on the planet. And I've been to Italy. I'm that guy who can say that. I've been to Italy. Lococo's pizza is the best. It's the best. And I don't truly know why. The crust bubbles at the perfect bubbling rate. I'm going to pretend that I understand what I'm saying. The cheese is perfectly garlicked and parmesaned. The atmosphere is wonderful. Right when you walk in, it just smells like heaven. But this podcast is not brought to you by Jimbo's Scotty Sandwiches, and Lococos. This podcast might be brought to you by Zymox, the dog ear ointment that I'm putting in my dog's ears right now. I'm, as I'm doing this podcast, I've got my beagle between my feet and his ears need constant ointment. You made it to this part of the podcast, folks, where we discuss the good ointments and the bad ointments. The phone lines are open. Go right ahead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for weighing in. This old man is 12 years old now, 12 years old. And for about 10 years, I've had baby locks on my refrigerator, but I've only had a baby for about three months. So there's a story right there. I've had baby locks on my refrigerators everywhere I've lived for 10 years, yet I've only had a baby for three months. It goes all the way back to young Muggsy the Beagle, who proved to me that he could get in a fridge and not just get in a fridge, but he can eat gallons of soup and take the lids off of Tupperware. It is truly the scene in Anchorman where Ron Burgundy says, I'm not mad, I'm actually just impressed. But I was pissed. So here's a 10-year-old story before I get out of here. You know, just starting to cook. I was just starting to become a great chef. Can I anoint myself that? Because I made soup in my own kitchen. But my mom is actually an expert soup maker. That's the truth. So I got her minestrone recipe and I'm doing it perfectly. And I'm making vats, like industrial size pots. And I'm making so much soup that it's going to last me a week. It's going to last me a month. And I put it in all the Tupperwares I have. And I put all the soup in the fridge and I go to work and I come home and every Tupperware is scattered across my newly red-stained carpet, and my beagle's snout is stained with red minestrone broth as well, and there's not a drop left. I'm pretty sure that's five gallons of minestrone, and I don't know how to measure liquids. Maybe I'll say pounds. That's five pounds of straight minestrone 
in my little beagle's belly. And at that point, I realized, okay, we got to get baby locks on this fridge. That is amazing, though, to picture. I would do anything to have surveillance footage to see what it looked like when Muggsy looked in the fridge and said, fuck yeah, it's minestrone time. And I didn't replace any of the Tupperwares. They still have teeth marks in all of them. To this day, all of the Tupperware I have, because he still gets in the fridge, I don't always remember to do the fridge lock, all my Tupperware has teeth marks. It's like I live with wildlife. I'm not even sure he's a dog. I'm pretty sure he's a raccoon. Half beagle, half raccoon. Maybe some pony. But he looks like a dog, doesn't act like it. All right, this dog story went a little long. But this next dog story, this one is for the ages. And this will be my last Muggsy story. At least for this podcast. And this one hinges on half story, half crime. So stay with me. Now, I'm a natural-born rebel. I think that's been established so far. So on occasion, I walk my dog without a leash. Well, I mean, I bring a leash, but then I detach him and let him roam in the sense that he's always within five to ten feet of me, usually. And most of the time, I'm not all that distracted by my phone. Sometimes I am, but most of the time, I'm not that distracted by my phone. Give me some credit. But this particular day, maybe two years ago, I was fully distracted, and this old dog was fully detached, totally disconnected. I was just using my sense of smell to keep tabs on where he was. But as we're heading home, the last stretch, the last 50 yards in the apartment complex, where it's kind of like outdoor hallways, long aisles of door-to-door, kind of like that motel look for an apartment complex, and clearly I was too trustworthy of this bastard. But we turn one corner and I realize he's nowhere to be seen. And as I look to my left, there is a door to an apartment that's wide open. And I just see his tail running full speed into this apartment. So I go left. I see my dog entering an apartment with their door open and just his tail because he's in a full sprint. So I know I have to run after him, try to grab him. And apologize. And immediately just apologize that I'm in somebody else's home. Immediately. So as I run in, and I'm trying to set the scene, because I'll never forget this, and I'm pretty sure I'm still wanted for this crime, I yell, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, this is my dog, I'm so sorry. And I look around, and nobody is in this apartment. But as I look around, I notice it's one of those apartments that looks really lived in. Like there's family portraits on the wall. There's old oak furniture. It's like just old looking lamps. I honestly think it was a plastic covered couch. I don't think I'm making that up. And it smelled like cooking. And there was a big dining room table. Seemed to take up the entire dining room. Big, white, lacy, doily tablecloth. And right in the middle of the table is a giant chicken. At this point, I start to think I'm hallucinating. Like I walked into a cartoon, human chases his dog into an empty apartment with their door open and a giant chicken on the table. I mean full chicken, like you would see a turkey, but it wasn't that big. Muggsy, full sprint, jumps up on a chair to elevate himself to the table. So now all four legs of this dog are on a stranger's table as I'm screaming, I'm so sorry still, to no one. No one's there. And right as I yank him by his hips, he sinks his teeth into a big old drumstick. 
rips it off the chicken. So now I have him by his hips. I'm carrying him out full speed. Now I'm in a sprint. He has the drumstick in his mouth, and I'm not putting him back on the ground. I'm running the rest of the way to my home. Not laughing yet. I mean, the laughter is soon going to come, but I'm almost in a panic. I'm actually really scared at this point that somebody might have seen what happened. What level of theft is a chicken drumstick? I don't know. It wasn't quite stealing jewelry. But this family was soon going to come back into their dining room and notice something's different. To this day, they never found out. I didn't leave a note. I guess I should have decided not to. I just wanted to tiptoe away from this event and erase it from my memory. Could you imagine if this family listens to my podcast? If they were just on iTunes and they're like, hey, here we go. Josh Rosenberg, who's this guy? Let's check it out. And they finally solve the mystery to the missing chicken on their table. But that's some ruthless, aggressive shit. It sounds like bad dog, bad owner. And it is. This story is bad dog, look at the owner. But still, that memory and that memory alone is kind of satisfying in a weird way. You know, bad dog, bad owner, weird dog, weird owner. I think we're growing into one another. I also think he fakes his arthritis. Some days he acts like he can't even get down the stairs, and other days he just sprints across the field to hump another dog. So it's a beautiful thing. And I did Google his age. Forget the when they're one, they're seven. When they're two, they're 14. Forget that dog math. I found a Beagle website that says when they're 12, they're 65. So that kind of explains why he doesn't like my baby daughter. What kind of 65-year-old wants to hang out with a three-month-old? Yeah, he doesn't even want to be around her. So that's the chaos going on in my life. Chaos in my home. For more chaos, you can follow me on Twitter at jrosenberg957. Actually, that's not true at all. My Twitter handle is very mild, almost dormant at times. But you can still follow me. Maybe I'll follow you back. And if you're looking for something to read, hey, why not check out my book, Suddenly Facing Reality, which could soon become a new Peter Lavolsi screenplay. Let us pray. Let us pray. And don't forget to see Peter Lavolsi's new movie in theaters, House of Tomorrow, April 27th. The story of Buckminster Fuller. If you know that name, you'll enjoy the movie. If you like punk rock, you'll enjoy the movie. If you like comedy, you'll enjoy the movie. If you like Nick Offerman, you'll enjoy the movie. If you just like the story that I know this guy from my early days at Dixie School and ditching Hebrew School, like we were prisoners on the run, then you'll like this movie. All right, episode seven in the books. I'll talk to you soon.